today, um, the message that I'm going to share with you is called Judgment or Mercy, if you're taking notes. And I want to start with reading to you a kind of longer portion of scripture from Luke chapter 10. So I want you guys to lean in and be fully here because I'm telling you that the word that I'm going to speak from the living word of God has the power to change your perspective today, which ultimately will change your life today. And honestly, it also has the power to affect the way that you live in the realm of eternity, which there's nothing more important than. So from Luke chapter, 20, or chapter 10, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. And it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now this point right here, if you are a mama in the room, or you don't even have to be a mama in the room, if you have ever been around a child who you ask to do something, and they really don't want to do it, one of the first things that many times they will do is they will question what you just asked of them. Like, this is what this man has done. He's asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? But he doesn't really want to take ownership of what God told him to do. So he's like, well, Jesus, but who really is my neighbor? And then we get this story that I've read many times. It's one of my favorite stories um, that Jesus tells. And he says, Jesus replied with this story. A Jew Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, and he passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him and saw him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of, a, of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. He bandaged them up, and then he put the man on his own donkey, and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. And the man replied, The one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. You know, how many of you have read this story and you've always saw yourself as wanting to be that good Samaritan? 
that doesn't walk past and doesn't close your eyes and doesn't move to the side of the road. I know I have. But when I think of this story, I always thought to myself for some odd reason, maybe it's because it tends to be my own issue, is that if I ever miss the opportunity, it would be because I made myself too busy. I was too busy and I didn't take notice and I didn't accurately see what was in front of me and the need in front of me. But I began to think of this message that Jesus told a little further. I began to think of the man who actually came to him. And who was the man? He was a religious leader. He was a religious person. He was one that was following the law of God. And we know from reading the New Testament, or if you don't know, the fact of the matter is that the Sadducees and the Pharisees were the ones, it wasn't that they were too busy, they were too busy judging people to do what God came to do, what Christ came to do, which was to give mercy. And so I think that there's a possibility, I don't know for sure, that in this story, those two men who were just like the man that was talking to Jesus, they were religious by nature, they knew the law of God, they wanted to do was right. Perhaps the reason they didn't stop and do something was because in their own minds, they were deciding why this man who was broken and beat up was possibly in the situation he was in. And maybe he wasn't really worthy of them stopping to take care of him. Could that be the case? I think it's pretty likely. The outcome of this story is Jesus wants us to have compassion and mercy on everyone. I want to ask you guys a question. Have you ever been the recipient of extravagant mercy? Have you ever received extravagant mercy? Now, we know that Jesus has showed us all if we've received him and we know what it is to be born again and bought with a price and made new and clean and washed of our sins. That is the largest picture that will ever exist of extravagant mercy. But I also think of life situations where people have shown me extravagant mercy and how I was undone. One of those situations, the extravagant mercy was actually shown to someone I love dearly who was in a situation where she called and I couldn't be there when she needed me. And she was broken and she was alone and she had no money. She was like the person in the story. She was desperate for help. And I couldn't help her, so I called someone I knew. And they became the good Samaritan to this person I love dearly. And I, in turn, was a picture. I was the recipient of extravagant mercy because someone took someone who I love dearly and loved them with such love and devotion and showered them and provided for them and took care of them, even though they may not have been deserving. But what about, what about extravagant, I shouldn't say extravagant, what about harsh or critical judgment? How many of you have ever been in a position that you've received harsh or critical judgment? Many of us would say yes. And we know that when that happens, there is something inside of us that feels so broken, we want to just turn and run away. For me, one of the times that have come um, that comes to mind was I was in a church. I was very young. I was about 19 years old, and um, I was engaged to this guy that I went to go visit in Texas. And I was like, I need to check out your church before I marry you. That was before Jeff. You was the man. I'm so glad I picked you, baby. Um, but 
Anyways, I, I, I'm engaged to this guy, and I'm, I'm in love with Jesus. I'm on fire for Jesus, and I feel the call of God inside me. And I'm like, I need to know that this guy tells me he loves Jesus, but I need to go and experience church with him. I need to make sure, like, we are united in this, right, which is a great lesson for you young people in the room. And we're engaged. I got the ring on it and everything. And I go to his church, and just something was not right. Something did not feel right inside. And next thing you know, at that time, I kind of had this little short holly berry. I thought I looked pretty cute, little dew. And um, the pastor from the middle of his sermon points me out in the congregation and goes, women, don't you know it's a sin to cut your hair? Like in the middle of the service, y'all, I must have like fell inside my chair and like wanted to just ball up like a little baby and cry. I was so humiliated. Needless to say, I went to my fiancé, who was my fiancé. He's not my fiancé anymore, obviously. But I went to him, and I gave him his ring back, and I said, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't marry you. I can't. We're, we're, not, we're not united in the way that we serve and follow Christ. And then the Lord blessed me. But you see, your mercy or your judgment has the power to either destroy people or build them up. I want to read to you guys what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a big log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Listen, this is Jesus. The line that I want you to remember here, actually the line that I want you to remember at the very end of this sermon is that with the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. And then likewise, in Matthew chapter 5, the Lord says, blessed are the merciful for they will inherit mercy. Friends, this is so important because if I'm going to overdo it in one area or the next, Lord, give me mercy. I would rather err on the side of mercy than on the side of judgment any day. How about you? Um, you know, Jesus and the disciples, <laughs> the disciples were people. I mean, I know that they became mighty men who the Bible says turned the world upside down. But they were people just like you and me. They were learning to follow Jesus. They were becoming like Jesus. And as people who have a flesh, it's kind of funny when you see the flesh of the disciples come out. And they tend to bend toward, at least a few of them, tend to bend towards judgment more than they did mercy. And I want to show you a couple places where this happens. One is Luke chapter 9 starts at verse 49, John says to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him, stop, because he isn't in our group. Come on. Like, 
How many times does this happen in church today? How many times does this happen in community? Someone's not in your group, so we want to stop them from doing what God has actually called them to do. Someone was getting set free from a demon. Someone was getting set free from oppression. They were being brought into life, yet the disciples, all they saw was this person's not in our group. And Jesus, we see how he handles that. He says, don't stop them. Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is actually for you. You know, one of the things that I am seeing right now, and I'm not just, I'm not speaking this specifically to our church. I'm speaking this as a society. Like one of the things we see on social media, one of these things that we see when we're in large groups is people are always, they don't, I don't think that it's like this, Father, forgive them. I think they know not what they do. But by their words, they are consistently dividing Christians and saying like, because they don't believe something the same exact way we believe it, or they're not doing it the same way that we're doing it, that they need to be stopped, that they're wrong. And what they're actually doing is they're, they're joining hands with the accuser who is, that's what he comes to do. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he does it with words of accusation. Again, we see in verse 51, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven. So Jesus is with his disciples again. Jesus resolutely, and this is just a few verses later. Isn't that funny? At the same time, again, uh, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent out messengers ahead of him to Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome him. Did they welcome him? No. They did not welcome him. And when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? As we can see, they were still a work in progress. <laughs> but Jesus turned and he rebuked them. And so they went on to another village. Listen, friends, like this, it's, the truth is that we are all prone to this. Every single person, some of you might have walked in this room and scoped somebody else out and already made like a, a decision about them based on the way they look. Or maybe you walked into the church and you felt, you know, you had criticism in your heart about something that happened in the worship team or with the announcements or the way somebody said something. It's, hu it's flat. I don't want to say it's human nature. It's the fleshly nature of all of us to be critical. And we actually have to crucify that part of us and bend towards love. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love believes the best. But it doesn't mean that you don't at times have to actually wrestle with accusation because it comes to us all, even in our own homes. How many of you have been in a situation with your family where you can feel you get into this cycle of accusation and you're, you start keeping score in a relationship of who did something worse. Like, and then you bring that out. Like that is not the heartbeat of God for us. I know it's hard and I've been there too. Actually, should I tell myself? Yes, just yesterday, Jeff and I came into the church to set up the tables in the um, fellowship room and we were tired. Uh, we were tired. We had just taken the youth camping the night before and we really didn't want to go and my husband probably really, really didn't want to come in to, to do that. But we, we needed to do it and it wasn't a big deal at all. We just were fine, right? But we're there and we're setting up the chairs and for some 
some reason, this doesn't normally happen to both of us. Usually it's just one of us, but yesterday it was both of us. We're looking at the, the, we're counting the chairs around the round tables and we're like, there's like 28 chairs. I know. I know for sure that we used to get a lot more than 28 chairs in this room. And we're both looking at it like you would look at a really big puzzle and like feel frustrated because you can't find where you want your piece to go and we're like I don't know what to do with the tables and chairs I don't know where to do we take all these out and go and put the rectangle ones out and we're going back and forth and my husband I'm waiting on him to be Mr. Mighty Man that he is when he plays Tetris and when we pack and he always knows where to put things and so I'm like waiting for that to rise inside of him and he's just standing there clueless like I don't know what to do (laughs) And so then I'm standing there behind him like, honey, it's been years. We've been putting tables and chairs out. How come neither of us know what to do with the tables and the chairs? Anyways, we figure it out. He did rise to the occasion. Thank you, baby. And all of a sudden, he's, something about the conversation came to like, tomorrow, what we might have to do. <laughs> I don't remember how it was worded, but something about like, tomorrow morning, we can go and we can like finish or fix something that we didn't finish or fix. And all of a sudden, um, Jeff's like, he's, he's pointing to the fact that I can do it. And then I'm pointing to the fact, no, honey, I'm preaching tomorrow. You can do it. And then he's like, hello, like I'm doing worship <laughs> It was totally this moment of like, and we both were like, no, we're not going there. We're not going to do the, he did what, keep score, who's doing more? Like, come on, can I be real with you guys? Thank you. That was a resounding yes, so you must all agree. Like, this is human, yeah, this is human, human, selfish nature, but this is not the nature of Jesus. And the truth is that we have been united with Christ. When we receive the Spirit of God, we receive the love of God in our hearts. So we are born again when we receive Jesus. And we have a new heart, and that heart is full of compassion. That heart is full of grace. That heart can get low and be humble and be like, you know what, honey, you're right, you're doing a lot. I can go ahead and do that. I can get that done, and I'm not going to go and write it down on a list and keep score so I can bring it to you later and say, I did it last time, right? Come on. Okay, so we're going to take a look. We're going to, I want to just take a look for the next few minutes at Jesus because the disciples in this moment are kind of failing us as the example, but Jesus never fails. And so I want to just take a moment and, and look at Jesus I want to say that as I was preparing this little portion of the, of the message, I was kind of amazed. I, not kind of, I was amazed at Jesus. I was like, Jesus, I already knew these things about you, but like typing them up and thinking about them, I'm amazed at you. And actually the amount of mercy that I had, like to, I think it's one of my gifts is mercy. But when I was looking at those, I was like, whoa, like I have so far to go. I'm just not there yet. And, um, but anyways, let's just get right to it. So We're going to look at Jesus and people who others thought needed judgment, but Jesus felt the need to give them mercy. So this is just Jesus, y'all. Don't get mad at me. This is Jesus, okay? Jesus and the backslider. Let's talk about how does Jesus handle the backslider? Peter. Peter, we know, loved Jesus. But when he rejected Jesus three times in a row, I would kind of call that backsliding, wouldn't you? Like if somebody just outrightly cursed and said, I don't know him about Jesus, I would classify that as like backsliding. But I want you to remember that Peter did weep 
bitterly after the third time. He regretted his actions. He had a repentive heart. And so here is is Jesus and the backslider. He sees Peter. And number one is he doesn't like try to just walk the other way and pretend like he doesn't see Peter. He doesn't sweep under the rug what Peter did and just not pay any attention because it would be too hard to actually confront him. He goes to Peter and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Now Jesus knows all things. He knew that Peter loved him. But he also knew that even before Peter did it, that Peter would reject him. And still here is Jesus looking into the eyes of Peter because he needs Peter to know. Not because he needs to know. He needs Peter to know. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he gives him his purpose back. Feed my sheep. The next time, tend my sheep. The next time, feed my sheep. You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal your destiny. He wants to rob you of your worth, which is what you live out of. It's what you give out of. It's what actually empowers you to go out and to love people and to make a difference. And the enemy wanted to sift Peter But Jesus just goes up to him and he affirms his love for him. Peter, feed my sheep. I haven't taken away your destiny. I still believe in you. I still have compassion for you. What you did doesn't mean you're too far gone and you're not worth it anymore. I have a job for you to do and it's not over. Amen. Amen. That's Jesus. And then there's Jesus and who the world would call the wasteful. Come on, how many times have we thought, just saw someone, they're wasteful. They're wasteful. There's Jesus and the person that some would consider wasteful. Jesus and Mary. The Bible speaks, I didn't get all these verses because I had a lot of verses for the sake of time, but the Bible tells a story of Mary and how she goes to the Lord Jesus before his crucifixion and she pours out her bottle, her alabaster bottle of perfume, and it was the most costly thing she had. She pours it out over him, and the Bible says the disciples were actually indignant. That's the word that at least is in my Bible. Maybe there's other translations, but I'm sure it may be furious or angry. They were indignant and said, why this waste? But we know that Jesus again corrects them. And he actually uses words to speak over this woman that I've never heard spoken anywhere else in the Bible. It says, what she did will be a memorial to her. It will be a memorial to her. Everywhere the gospel is preached, what this woman did, who some would call wasteful, Jesus thought was so precious and beautiful because Jesus sees beyond the outside. He looks deep into the heart. And then there's Jesus and the desperate. Have you ever seen someone that was desperate and then maybe there's a part of you, maybe you felt this way even towards yourself at times. I hate feeling desperate. I hate when I feel needy. I'm just being real with you. Like it's one of the things that I 
I just dislike the most, and I feel like lately I've felt that way a lot. Um, and I just don't like it. I don't like it. But there's Jesus and the desperate, blind Bartimaeus. It was Jesus is passing through the crowd. He's calling out with no vision. And now just see a blind man in a crowd. How is that going for him? There is maybe a fear that he could be trampled on by this crowd. And he's calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And the crowd is probably pushing past him and kicking him. And eventually he's just silenced. They say, be quiet. You're too desperate. You're too desperate. Come on. Just pick, up, just pick yourself up and do what you can. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes this is the way we, come on, just pick yourself up and do what you can. Keep moving. Keep going. Be quiet. And Jesus calls him. And Jesus says, cheer up. <laughs> That's what one translation says. Cheer up. Your faith has healed you. Jesus wasn't offended by his desperation. He wasn't offended by his need. Instead, he was full of grace and mercy for the desperate. And then there's Jesus and the dirty. Jesus and the woman at the well. He meets her there and he asks her for water. And she's just astounded because she's a Samaritan and they don't talk to Jews. Okay, And she's a woman. And in that day, women were really degraded. They were not on the same level as a man as far as respect, and so, or even worth. And so here is this woman, and Jesus asks her for water. And she's like, you're talking to me? Like, you want to talk to me? And Jesus actually tells her, if you would ask of me, I would give you living water. And he doesn't hide the fact that he knows she's been with five different men. And the one she's with right now is not her husband. And come on, guys, we know that that is not, like that's not the perfect plan of God. It's not. But even in spite of it, he still offers her something that no one else would dare to offer her. I have a gift for you. All you have to do is receive it. I have for you living water. Come on, who, who are we thinking is too dirty that they don't deserve the free gift that God is trying to give them? And then there's the cheat, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I just can't say his name without singing the song. Wee little man was he. If you guys don't know this, this is like a Bible school, Sunday school song. We, we sing it every once in a while too. So um, Zacchaeus was small. Okay, he just wasn't a very tall guy. And he's not just a tax collector, but he is a chief tax collector, okay? And tax collectors in that day were, were cheats. Like, they just, they stole from people. They robbed them. They took what people had, and they made them be in desperate situations. And so they were not liked. And Jesus this man had heard about Jesus. Something about Jesus drew him. Maybe it was his dirty conscience. Maybe his conscience was like, maybe this is one that will actually receive me and can cleanse me and forgive me. I've heard of his powers and his miracles. I don't know. I don't know what was in his mind. But there was something curious about him that caused him to climb up in a tree to watch Jesus walk by. 
But Jesus, we know, doesn't just walk by. He actually stops and he looks up into that tree at this wee little man. I wish, I want to like, Lord, can you replay that for me in heaven? I would love to see this scene. So he stops and he actually just says, I'm coming to your house today. So the one who everybody thought, stay at least this far from him because he's a cheat. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. I'm going to get close. And I don't know what happened in the house. I'm really curious, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But we know that that encounter with Jesus changed this man's life. He walked away from that. And see, this is, this is the thing that we have to understand, is that being with Jesus, like if we can just give Jesus away, being with him is enough to change anyone's life. Experiencing that kind of love and mercy is enough to change anyone's life. And so by the time he left that encounter with Jesus, he said, whatever I've stolen, I will give back. And even four times, whatever I took, I'll return and make right. I'm sure that that wasn't the conversation that Jesus had with him, but his heart was changed. So out of a new heart, out of a clean heart, came a new life and a new way of being. And that is what God has for each of us. No matter what's happened in our life, no matter how broken we've been, no matter what mistakes we've made, that Jesus can actually come and he can wash it all away. There's no one too dirty. Don't you guys remember this song? There's no one too dirty that you haven't made worthy. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, sometimes our problem isn't always judging others. Sometimes it's judging ourselves. Sometimes it's judging ourselves. We agree with what the enemy is speaking over us. And today, I am telling you, you need to change and you need to break the agreements that you've made with the enemy. He is, the Bible says, the accuser of the brethren, Revelations 12.10. He stands and he goes before God day and night and he accuses. And that's what he does. That's who he, who he is. That's why we need to stay away from that stream. Stay away from the stream of accusation. I would rather err and be quiet and silence my mouth when it comes to accusing a brother or sister in Christ than actually breaking someone's heart. Because I got it wrong. I saw it wrong. I didn't know all the wrong pieces. I wasn't curious enough. I didn't go to them to ask for understanding. I was too afraid, so I just opened my mouth. But we have to break the agreements that we've made when the accuser comes to accuse us. Come on, what has the enemy accused you of? What has he said that you've done that's just not forgivable? What does he say that tries to destroy and defeat you of your destiny? He is the accuser. And you know what? It's not loud. It's not like the enemy comes in a really creeping voice and says, ha, 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 Corinne, I saw what you did. Like, no, that's not what it is, guys. It's just like this impression, maybe. I'm not really worth it. Like, I'll never get this right. I'm not a good dad never be the kind of father I want to be. You're wasteful. You're never going to get out of this debt. Can't do it. Look at you. You're blowing it with your wife again. Weren't you supposed to be patient? Aren't you a Christian? You're fat. You're unlovable. Who's going to want to marry you? Come on. Reject the lies of the enemy. Reject them. 
You have to reject them. You have to resist them. That's what the Bible says. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. We have to break the agreements that we've made with the accuser of the brethren. You have to realize what they are and cut them off and begin to stand in your righteousness, the righteousness that's been given to you by the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I want to share with you guys a quote that I read about being judgmental. I thought it was really good. I read it from a book a while back. I don't remember... Maybe it was the Love Like Jesus book we did as a small group. I don't know. Les Parrott is the author, and it says, The next time you sense a judgmental spasm in your heart, conjure curiosity. Why? Because curiosity squelches criticism and stiff arms judgmentalism. Curiosity creates a space for grace. How? Almost every evaluation we make of others arises from incomplete information. We will fill in the gaps of what we don't know with prejudicial judgment. Isn't that true? Pause and be curious. I read something recently on a Facebook post. It was Lisa Max, and she was talking about criticism, and I was had just finished preparing my message, and I loved what she said. It was something she taught to her children. We could teach this, mothers, we can teach this to our children um, and everyone else. You teach this to your friends. It's so good. So she said she taught them that a game, they called it the critical game because we all wrestle with criticism. And every time criticism rose up in their heart, she would say, let's play the critical game. Maybe they saw someone driving really fast across or somebody was really cranky at the, you know, at the store in front of them or their waitress or took a long time, whatever it was. You know, she said, let's play the critical game. And what you had to do in that moment was think of 10 things that could be the reason, good reasons why whoever did this did this. Maybe the person who was at the store just lost their best friend the day before. Maybe the person who was flying by in the car is trying to get somebody to the hospital and forgot about 911. <laughs> there are so many reasons, guys, that people do things that we just, we don't know. But if we pause and we get curious and we choose to believe the best, we can spare ourselves some judgment on the day of judgment. Because with the measure we judge, we will what? Be judged. Amen. James 5.9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. One last thing I want to share with you in this message is, what about, what about, what, what about like when people we know are not okay? What about when our friend is sinning and you see them like falling away from God? If we speak to them, does that mean that we're being judgmental? Absolutely not. To not judge people doesn't mean that you approve of everything they do. Mercy, is, does, when you give somebody mercy, Jesus did not approve of the woman being with the man in her house and the fifth man and all. Jesus didn't approve of the tax collector stealing from people. Jesus didn't approve of Peter's um, denying him and cursing about him. Jesus didn't approve of that. Yet he was still able to give mercy. Do you guys get that? 
But what about when we do need to go to someone? Because love actually does hard things. And many times it means that you're going to someone. I have several scriptures, but I don't have time to give them to you all. But I will tell you that when you love someone and you see them trapped in sin, because the nature of sin is destructive. That's why God hates it. It separates us from it. It breaks us apart. It destroys relationships. So it's perfectly loving for you to go to someone and have a hard conversation with them without judgment. I want to read to you Galatians 6.1. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, come on, say it with me, gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Again, in James 5, my dear brothers and sisters, do you see like the affection, the affirmation, like my dear friends, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings back the sinner from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Again, you could read Matthew 18 for the sake of time. I won't. 2 Timothy 4.2, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage. That's actually your people. That's actually from the point of a shepherd, what a shepherd is supposed to do. But it is right and it is loving for you to go to people when you feel like their lives are in danger, when you feel like they're hurting themselves, they're sinning against God. But you have to do it without judgment. What's the difference? Judgment says you're condemned. This is what you deserve. There's no way out. Okay? Conviction in mercy says, friend, I'm seeing this. This is, can you, can you tell me more? Because maybe there's a part of the story you don't know. Maybe there's something you just don't know. You need to be curious first. And then once you know what's going on, you need to gently and humbly, that means you're not making yourself bigger. You're actually getting low. And you're sharing with them in a gentle way what you see for the purpose of bringing them back. You guys see it? It's different. It's not the same. And we have to be able to do that because we really love people. Amen. At this time, we're going to go ahead and take communion. If I can have the ushers come up and, oh, psych, that's just to be cute. (laughs) If I can have the ushers come up (laughs) and... Um, distribute the elements. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate that. We're going to take communion together as a family before we eat our supper, and we're going to allow anybody to receive prayer if you need prayer. I specifically feel like, I feel like a holy tenacity today to pray with you and break any agreements you've made with the enemy about yourself. So if you're in here and you're struggling with accusation, like a spirit of condemnation about yourself, we need, to, we need to stop agreeing with the enemy, and we need to break. My battery might have died. Oh, nope, it's there. We need to break those agreements, so we would love to pray for you. We're not going to do that yet. But for communion, I wanted on purpose to do it after the sermon because I really want us to, you know, communion is about the body and the blood of Jesus. And the body and the blood of Jesus is actually what makes us clean, It's what takes away our sins. It's what makes it so that we can actually approach God and be free and have joy and peace. 
It's It's what covers us. It's what brings forgiveness and sets us into our identity. And it's also out of what Jesus did that we can walk in mercy towards others. Because we're called to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So I want us to, I'm going to lead you in communion today. I want you to pray with me. But I also just want to repent. I want us to repent together for God. Just as the body of, for being judgmental at times now. I don't, I just want to make it clear that I don't think this way about our church. Like I don't think we have a big gossip problem in here at all actually. I think you guys are some of the most loving, gracious people. But we all fall short in this area. So I want us just to get with God and just take a sincere look and say, God, how have I partnered with the accuser? Like, and I just want us to just repent, repent, just like ask for, confess your sin to God. Like confess, yes, God, I I see that area where I was judgmental or harsh or critical or accusing. God, forgive me. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you for like partnering with the accuser against yourself. And just, you could just break, God, I just, I ask you to forgive me. I'm just giving you an example. Forgive me for times that I've agreed with the enemy when he's spoken about who I am, when it's not been what you say. I reject the lies. If anything specific comes to your heart, you guys can call that out. You can just say it. You could say, right now, I reject that I'm unloved. I break that agreement. I'm unlovable. I break that agreement. I break the agreement that I'm not worthy. I break the agreement that I'll always be afraid or alone. Come on, we're going to do that together. So, Father, we just honor your blood and your body right now, Jesus. You shed your blood for us for the remission of our sins. You were crucified for us. You rose again on the third day. We thank you. I want you just to say this with me. Say, Father God, I am so sorry for times that I have judged someone harshly. Please forgive me. Give me a heart like yours that is full of mercy so that I may receive mercy too. I break every agreement that I've made with the enemy. I break any agreements I've made about my own life. And I believe what you say about me, Father. I am loved, I am forgiven, I'm made clean by the blood, I am accepted, I am purified, and I am yours.